Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All God's people here send their greetings. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Jesus, help us listen. And as we hear the text and as we hear it explained and as we enter in and practice at your table, would it shape us into an attentive, deep kind of people? Let us listen to you as you call us into something and will we hear it and will we respond and will we go where it is that you call us this week. In your name we pray. Amen. So, if you've been with us on live stream, then you know that throughout the season of COVID, we have been in the book of 2 Corinthians, walking through a series that we called Mountains Made of Clay. And we started the series right at the beginning of COVID. So the pandemic had just broken out, but it was before, if I'm remembering correctly, it was before the earthquakes, before the hurricane winds, before fires literally everywhere, before protests and riots in the streets, before any of those things happened, it was just a pandemic. Do you remember that? How lovely and simple the world was once. We started this series because Paul writes this letter to a small church out of his own grief. We don't know exactly what it is that he's experienced, but he's had these experiences that have shaped him and formed him. And you could even say maybe wounded him. And he feels deeply and he feels like something is not right in the world. And in the midst of his grief and in the midst of his like struggle and the questions that he's asking, he writes this letter to this church who isn't suffering and says, hey, someday you will. And someday the world is going to be strange. And someday things that you don't expect are going to happen. And someday this, this thing that you're doing will begin to come undone. And let me give you these words for the midst of that moment. When it feels like the mountains are actually made of clay and they begin to fall, let me tell you where your hope is. And so he begins to present this picture of of what it looks like to be followers of Jesus in the midst of the unknown and the strange. And he tells them that their life is found in a story. That they belong to this thing that God is doing in the universe, that the resurrection is true and it shapes everything. And then he tells them that they belong to a people. And that though they may think individualistically and want to isolate themselves from one another, that they belong to a community. And as hard as that is, it is still true and defines them. And then he tells them they belong to a work. They are called ambassadors, agents of reconciliation. And he's like, there's this thing that you're called into. And so no matter what's happening around you, no matter what the world is doing, you have been invited into the thing that God is accomplishing as a participant, as an agent. And so he tells them, he's like, you have a story that you belong to, a people that you're a part of, and a thing that you're called to. This is the new reality that comes with being a follower of Jesus. 
So he was telling them throughout the letter that this is who they are. This is what it means to be the people. And it's not been easy for him because if you've also been listening, then you have these moments of like beautiful storytelling, beautiful like gospel pictures where he's like, here's the thing that God is doing. And then in the next moment, we learn that the Corinthians don't trust Paul at all. They don't trust his apostleship. They don't trust his authority. They don't seem to like him very much. So at one moment, he's like telling them this story of Jesus, who they are. And the next moment, he's just trying to defend his own integrity and his own authority. And he's like, why won't you just listen to me? He's trying to convince them to do things that should be obvious as followers of Jesus. He's like, can you just give some money to those in need? It shouldn't be that hard. Can you just a little bit? He's like, would you just practice mutuality? Maybe just like a little bit. So you have this like tension that's going back and forth between this moment. And as we come to this like end section, Paul finishes his letter, the moments of beauty and the moments of hardship and the moments of tension with what you could say is a final benediction. Just like a concluding word, just like we do at the end of a Sunday service, we send each other with a benediction, a word of truth spoken over us to send us in the good news of who God is. And so Paul does the same. He's like, I'm going to send you in a benediction. But the words of the benediction are wild after all the tension of this letter. He says, finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. And you're like, what? Rejoice at what? They hate you, homie. And he says, strive for full restoration. You're like, what? Strive for restoration with people who have fought you and argued with you and contended with your authority. And they've actually trusted other apostles who don't know anything over you. And you're like, strive for full restoration with them? He says, encourage one another. Despite the fact that he has never been encouraged by them. Be of one mind can't be at one mind, and I live in a household of three. <laughs> be at one mind? And he says, live at peace. And I feel like the words of that benediction and the story of Corinthians sets up the tension that is so true of the church for many of us. Right? There's this story of what God is doing that is beautiful and big and amazing, and yet there is Paul's experience or our experience. And the experience that we have does not often fit the story of God in the church. It's not all reconciliation. It's not we are agents participating with God's new kingdom work. That might be the thing that we say, but what it actually feels like is hard and arduous. And even as I was prepping this sermon this week, that's what my own feeling was. I was like, I don't want to do it. It's like, I don't... I don't feel this benediction very much. I don't feel like I'm living at peace with people. And I don't feel like these people want restoration with me. And I don't, it doesn't feel true of my own experience this week. And so it was hard to hold the tension. And as I was wrestling through that and reading the text, I think it just leads me with the question of like, how do you hold the, what do you do with that? The story of Jesus, this big, beautiful picture of what God is doing. And then the reality that so many of us live in which is just harder or, if nothing else, just not as glorious. Mm -hmm. So what do we do with it? And thankfully, yay Paul, he carries on with this benediction. And um, 
while stating these things that he asks the community to be about, he then says a declarative statement, which is what a benediction is. He declares something out, kind of breathes it out into the community through these words that he pens. And he says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. And he summarizes his entire letter with that benediction. Summarizes all and the many things that he has been saying are true about who God is. He starts out with the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a gift of grace that has been given to us in Jesus. And it's a grace that delights to welcome us into relationship. Not out of anything other than sheer gift. And Jesus says yes to us through his grace. And so all of the negativity and hate and injustice and pride and rudeness and downright evil. Jesus takes it and he doesn't act the same way towards us. He doesn't return in kind. He doesn't return that kind of volatility or violence. Instead, he absorbs it. He swallows it up into himself on the cross. And then with resurrection, he bursts out and he makes new. It's like Jesus is the epic recycler. He like recycles all of that stuff and then he produces forgiveness out of it. He regenerates all that yuck into a yes. And he extends welcome through our relationship with him. And then he forms something new. He forms something new inside of us. And he forms something new as we exchange it to one another. And then he's forming something new in the world. That's what God is doing in the world is that he's making things new. And that's a sheer gift of grace. And the originator of that grace is the love of God. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. For God so loved the world, right? That he sent that gift of grace embodied in Jesus. And the love of God isn't, um, it doesn't increase or decrease. It doesn't stop or start. It doesn't have a beginning or an end. The love of God never fails, it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And so, Missio, God isn't angsty. God's not angsty. God's not in need. God is not bitter or frustrated. God is not moody, right? Deep gratitude for that. God is love. 1 John chapter 4. And God does what he is, which is loving. So the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God, this steadying reality and this consistent reality that we get to hold on to, and not only hold on to, but it's all held together by the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Now, some people who grew up in church, others who didn't, like fellowship. Have you heard that word before? You know, you like have the fellowship hall. And what happens at the fellowship hall? 
you get your food going and you get some like community connection you kind of share you share food and you share company and you share conversation and that's exactly what the holy spirit is doing the spirit the participatory presence of the spirit shares what is true about the father with the son and then shares what is true about the son with the father and then The Spirit shares all of that with us. That's the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit shares the reality of the goodness of God with us. And the Spirit guarantees what is good about God to us. And what is it? It's the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the love of God. That's what the Spirit is sharing through his fellowship with us. And so we become the benefactors and the participators in what is good about God. And the Spirit guarantees that goodness for us. And all that God does is kind of happens in this unbroken communion. And in the Eastern religion of Christianity, they have what's called icons. And icons are these pictures. And the point of icons isn't, it's a different way of reading And so sometimes you would have a a text that was written and other times the idea is that you would write this text in a visual picture. And the idea behind the picture is that it becomes an invitation of participation, that you're not just outside the picture, but you're invited into the picture. And we have our own icon. It's not technically an icon, but it's a visual. And we hang it up every Sunday at Missio because there's the picture of this communion that is happening between Father, Son, and Spirit, and it's what we're invited into. We're invited to the table. We're invited to the table to be nourished, to be sustained, and to be fed. And as we feast at the good company of God's table, we're transformed. And we need, I think, these words are words of inviting us to recenter ourselves in God. Because around us, we're going to have trouble. Things are going to be broken and painful and uncertain. And there's going to be injustice. And that needs our attention. We do need to attend to that. But our voice and our presence isn't going to be adequate enough unless we're kept and held in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. And so we don't have a whole lot of guarantees, Monsieur. We have like windstorms and pandemics and fires and uncertainty in relationship. But I think Paul wants to land us here because it's a space that is guaranteed. It's a place that is certain. So he gives this benediction because he's like, Church, these things are certain. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God And the sharing, participatory invitation and nature of the Spirit. Those things are certain. And they're with us. So then the question is, like, what do we do with it? Every week we try to ask that question as a a community. What does it look like to be the church called into the community and the fellowship of the Spirit? Well, Paul answered that question. Paul says, rejoice. Finally, rejoice. And as crazy as that is, even 
said, like there's these things that we have to attend to in the world, and sometimes I think rejoice can feel like a way of ignoring the realities of the world around us. But Paul's not saying rejoice to, to ignore or cope with or despite the pains of life with the Corinthians or of the world around us. More than anything, he's saying rejoice to spite them. Rejoice is a way to protest the injustice and evil and unholiness of the world around us. Rejoice to witness to the reality that God is doing something in this world. That God is at work accomplishing something as he invites us to participate in his community. And he is at work accomplishing something in the end of all things where the kingdom comes and the world is made new. And he says, rejoice because it bears witness to that new world. Rejoice. Live. The word is like really interesting in the Greek. All week we've been kind of debating like how do you present this? Because it is a passive imperative, which means it is a command that you can't do that much about because it's passive. So there's something implied that you are participating in what God is doing and you're participating in what other people are doing. And it is this thing we're called to, but it's not always going to be right or easy. It's going to be messy. And so strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Especially as we recognize that this thing can be hard and uncomfortable. Paul says, encourage one another. That is the thing that we're just, I think, not as missy, just as humans, we're not great at being encouraging. Sometimes I think it's like simple. It's like, oh yeah, whatever. But there is something that speaks life to us when we are encouraging. I think it's because all her friends accomplish like kind of amazing things. And for a while, she'd be like, I just have these amazing friends. And I think I realized, like, oh, no, you don't have amazing friends. You're an amazing encourager. And you help people believe that they can participate in what God is doing in their life. And the same is true of the church. And the same is true of us. And as we speak words of life and encouragement that actually birth something in us or call something out of us to participate in the thing that God is calling us to. Otherwise, it's too heavy. To encourage one another, be of one mind. Paul uses that phrase, be of one mind in Philippians 2, to say, take on the form of a servant, like Jesus did. So it's actually not about being unified, even. It's about choosing to be servants of one another, regardless of ideological or political or angsty differences. He said, be of one mind in that you will always serve, that you will take on a sacrificial posture to love the other. And live at peace. And the fascinating thing is that if, if strive is passive imperative, live is active imperative. It's the one thing that's like, oh no, you get to choose whether you live at peace with others. The posture you take, the way you engage, do you live out this community of the Spirit? Do you choose to rejoice? Do you choose to serve? Not perfectly. That's not the thing that Paul is calling us to. But out of the communion that we experience in God, we strive imperfectly, in a messy way to live at peace and to rejoice. So, Missy, one of the ways that we do that every single week, one of the easiest ways to do that is to come to the table. We don't get to gather at the communion table the way we normally do. We have these big communion tables in there. We gather around. We get to look each other in the eye and pray with one another. Can't do that. But all around you, there's these little cups kind of fancy. They have a wafer and juice. Wafer's on top. 
It's a little Lunchable of communion. And we're going to do is we're going to invite everyone to do it together right now. Normally we just play music and we invite everyone to do it kind of on their own. But because we can't come to the same table, what I'm asking is that you would grab your little element in the cup. There's a little communion, a little like switch on the top. You pull it, there's the wafer. Take the bread and take the cup. And in a moment I'll pray and we'll take communion during the, right after the prayer. But as you take that cup, you, you live into what Heather talked about. There's icons that show the picture. There are stories that let us hear the picture. And then there are practices that invite us into the picture. And as you take communion, you, you practice Jesus absorbing and recycling the hostility and the violence and the fear and making grace and space. You practice participating in the life of the divine communion. You practice rejoicing despite all that is happening. And you point towards this story, this thing that God is accomplishing. So, Missio, let me pray. And then as soon as I'm done praying, take your bread into the cup and let's take communion together. God, we thank you that you are with us. That even though we can't gather at the table together and be present in the same way that we are used to, that you have actually linked us together through you. And so today in this collective act of communion, we are caught up in the divine with you and caught up in one another, bound together through you, Jesus. So help that reality be true and deep in new kinds of ways. And today as we gather at the table, as we sing songs, would we rejoice to spite the brokenness? And would, would we become a people who strive for full restoration, who serve one another out of the sacrificial love of you, who encourage and seek to live at peace? In your name we pray. Amen.